Welcome to our podcast, Multiple Myeloma Morning Commute, another tool in the RRMM toolbox. Morning Commute is developed in collaboration with At Point of Care and Projects and Knowledge and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from Oncopeptides and Sanofi Genzyme. In this episode, Dr. Ravi Vij and Dr. Thomas Martin take a look at one of the newest drugs for the treatment of multiple myeloma, the just-approved melflufin, which is the newest in the class of alkylating agents. Drs. Vij and Martin will discuss the clinical data that led to its approval and the patients for whom it may show benefit. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash multiple myeloma three. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Vij is a professor of medicine in the Division of Medical Oncology at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. Dr. Martin is a professor of medicine in the Division of Hematology Oncology at the University of California, San Francisco. I am Candace Hoffman, Managing Editor of Morning Commute. Dr. Vij will begin our discussion. Hello, my name is Ravi Vij. I'm a professor of medicine at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. Today I have with me Dr. Thomas Martin from the University of California, San Francisco, and we are going to talk about a recent addition to our treatment tools in multiple myeloma, namely a drug called melflufin. Welcome, Tom. Hi, Ravi. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure as always, Tom. So I think uh, we continue to have more and more drugs uh, in myeloma. Uh, 2021, uh, we're just barely two months into it, and we have a new addition to our armamentarium here, uh, melflufin. So obviously, this is a drug of the class of alkylating agents, but it's also a targeted alkylating agent. So can you tell uh, us uh, a little bit about what is unique about this drug compared to other alkylating agents that have been very successful in myeloma for a very long time now? Yes. um, Thanks, Ravi. Uh, You're right. I think we're... um... We're talking about an alkylator therapy that we've been using since, you know, basically the 90s, right? And but this one actually is quite unique, in fact. So this is mel uh, melphalanfenamide, and it basically is a lipophilic um, alkylating agent. This lipophilic structure attached to the melphalan moiety of the of the molecule allows it to actual actually enter into cells quite readily. So it readily enters cells. Now, this moiety that's attached actually can be cleaved off the, the, the alkylator-based therapy with aminopeptidases. And these aminopeptidases are high of high expression in cancer cells like myeloma. Normal cells don't have a lot of these. So in normal cells, this alkylating agent can get in the cell quick, but it can get out of the cell quick. So it's pretty actually interesting compound. Now, it works very well in the test tube, and it, it can work in even alkylator-resistant cell lines, and it can also work, uh, they've shown, in alkylator-resistant pa- uh, patients. So based on the preclinical data, which, again, was very important data, this led to initially a phase one study uh, that led to the dose of 40 milligrams of melphalanflufenamide plus weekly 40 milligrams of dexamethasone, and to... Um, a large phase two study called the Horizon study. And the Horizon study took patients with relapse refractory myeloma 
that were refractory to pomalidomide or um, an anti-CD38 antibody, they had received two or more prior lines of therapy and they had good performance status and they received melflufan plus dexamethasone. Now, this was actually uh, a large study. Uh, in fact, um, involved a lot of patients with triple class refractory myeloma, patients with extramedullary disease. Um, and in the intent to treat, there was 157 patients um, with an overall response rate that was um, right around 30%. And this was actually um, a really important study that obviously led to its approval based on its activity in this heavily refractory population of patients with actually great, um, in my mind, really great uh, a safety profile. Most of the stuff being blood count suppression. What do you think about the data, Robbie? I agree that uh, you know we've used alkylating agents uh, for a long time. Even when patients become triple class refractory, they uh, form uh, in a lot of patients a mainstay of therapy, and they've served us well. So to have another agent, uh, perhaps better uh, than ones that we've had before in this class, is an advantage. I think this drug will have a utility, certainly in these later line refractory patients. One of the things also uh, that has been uh, emphasized with this drug is that patients with extramedullary disease, which is often uh, becoming a more of a problem as we uh, have patients progressing on multiple lines of therapy, are responding to this drug uh, nearly as well as those who do not have extramedullary disease. I know that the sample size is too smart to make, uh, too small to make uh, any conclusive deductions in this regard, but it's an intriguing observation. What do you think, uh, Tom? Yeah, it, it, actually, it's very active in these quite refractory patients, including in patients that um, had high-risk cytogenetics. So 59 of the patients actually had um, high-risk cytogenetics. And there was actually also quite a good response rate in the patients who had um, high-risk cytogenetics. The overall response rate was right around 20%, um, with a clinical benefit rate of around 37%. So again, um, very active in this refractory population. And it is going to be used in the patients who have failed pomalis, pomalidomide or failed carfilzomib or, or failed the CD38 antibodies. That's where it's going to be used at the current time. And this is a, actually a really nice response rate in that population of patients. I agree. We have to be a little cautious about the, uh, the myelotoxicity seen in the trials. I think that uh, patients have to be supported with growth factors. And I think that when you have very refractory patients, the marrow reserve may be diminished to start with. And so one does need to uh, have an eye on the blood counts as one treats patients with this drug. But the drug is obviously moving into combination therapy as well. And we have in the ANCHOR study the drug being combined with bortezomib and daratumumab. And I'm sure other combinations are going to follow. Uh, so uh, what do you see in terms of the future application of this drug in combination therapy? I think its um, response rate in the refractory setting is high enough that I would try to put medications like daratumumab and do it in an earlier line of therapy, one to three prior lines of therapy. Also, the, the favorable administration of once every four weeks, I think it actually might, in fact, be able to use frontline therapy and in some patients that, were not, that are not transplant candidates. I think potentially it can be combined, perhaps with daratumumab, 
in, in the frontline setting in the patients who are not uh, eligible for stem cell transplant. So I do think it um, it's working in the relapse refractory in the heavily pretreated, but I think we have to test it in the earlier lines and also in the in the newly diagnosed. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned the combination with daratumumab because the phase three lighthouse study, that is uh, the larger study that is being done for this drug, uh, is actually uh, looking at mel uh, this drug in combination with daratumumab and dexamethasone and comparing it to daratumumab alone. So yes, I think that uh, this combination is likely to be a commonly used one potentially in the years to come. Another uh, area where we uh, do use melphalan a lot these days is in stem cell transplantation. So can you uh, speculate as to uh, how this drug could perhaps even one day be part of our stem cell transplant paradigm? Absolutely. So like I said earlier, the main toxicity in, the, in patients who receive this is um, blood count suppression. So mild anemia, mild neutropenia, mild thrombocytopenia. And one of the advantages, again, is we think it gets into these normal cells and then gets out of the normal cells. Patients don't have any hair loss, um, which is interesting with this also, since it's an alkylator-based therapy and actually it's a relatively good dose of an alkylator-based therapy. The big question for all of us is, can, you, you, can we use this in addition with stem cell transplant? Well, this formulation, probably not, but they are going to develop a novel formulation, similar um, you know, lipophilic drug together to attached to the melphalan moiety. And that can be given and used with stem cell transplant. And I think they are planning to do studies in the next you know, year or two um, in that realm. And our hope is that you know, potentially patients may not have you know, significant hair loss. They may not have as much blood count problems. Um, they may not have as much GI toxicity. That would really be amazing, actually, if we can use if we can use this drug and have those outcomes in stem cell transplant. I think it'd be a huge win uh, for us in stem cell transplant. I agree, and I think that the uh, other phase three study that is ongoing is the Ocean study, combining melphalan with dexamethasone and comparing it to pomalidomide and dexamethasone. And uh, I think that this is a study that, uh, like a lot of other studies that have uh, been done with pomalidomide dexamethasone as a comparator, will uh, likely uh, lead to the full approval of the drug, given that it has accelerated approval at this time. Now, uh, where do you use alkylating agents? Because I suspect that, at least in the immediate future, we are going to uh, incorporate this drug perhaps in lieu of some of the alkylating agents that we currently use, which are the uh, alkylating agents that you use today? And if so, in what combination? Yeah, so that's a really good question. The way we set up our sequencing of drugs at the current time, as you know, after patients have had three or four prior lines of therapy, they've received all the big five, the CD38 antibodies, the immunomodulatory drugs, the proteasome inhibitors. And then in my mind, what's, what's left really are alkylator-based therapy. And we tend to go to alkylator-based therapy at that time. Our common alkylator-based therapy is for us to use infusional cyclophosphamide. Um, infusional cyclophosphamide causes a lot of toxicity. It causes complete hair loss for patients. Um, it is active, but it's toxic. I actually think um, we're going to replace that component of our therapy with 
um, melphalan flufenamide. That's where we're going to use it. Where we would use cyclophosphamide and fractionated IV doses of cyclophosphamide, we are going to use melflufen instead. And I'm hoping it's going to save a lot of hospital stays and actually a lot of toxicity. I agree. I think that another alkylator uh, that I use uh, often is bendamustine in combination with prednisone. And this would be an option for uh, patients uh, in lieu of that drug as well. We know that alkylating agents are something we turn to when we want quick results. Uh, we have a lot of patients, especially in later lines of therapy, that uh, progress relatively rapidly and sometimes can't even wait to get some of the other classes of drugs, and you need to have them get a treatment within the next often 24 hours. And alkylating agents, I think, is what we rely on for quick responses when we want uh, patients to respond quickly. Uh, I think that this class of drugs it, uh, is something that has a role today, uh, even in the era of more targeted uh, therapies. So it is great to see that we have a new agent in the uh, old mainstay of alkylator-based therapies. And I think that this is a drug that will have utility. It is easily administered in community settings. Some of the drugs may be a little more challenging sometimes for community physicians to administer. And I think this one will certainly uh, fit the bill for those uh, who need to be treated in the community as well. Tom, once again, I thank you very much for this uh, discussion, and I am looking forward to uh, even more new drugs coming down the pike. Thank you. Thank you, Ravi. Remember, to receive your credit and evaluate this program, please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash multiple myeloma three. For all the episodes in this six-part series, please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash multiple myeloma. Thank you for joining us today.